Thank you for setting your podcast out of 14th and G. I'm your host, Dean Hinkson. On Friday, the Bureau of Labor Statistics released their numbers for the November jobs report. This monthly snapshot is one of the main barometers by which policymakers and investors judge the state of the American workforce. With economists predicting an addition of about 440,000 new jobs added in the month, the actual number came in at a little better than half the prediction, ticking the unemployment rate down from 6.9% to 6.7%. The economy does continue to add jobs, and while we're well off the worst numbers from the early months of the pandemic, the trend line is troubling. With COVID cases spiking and many states weighing fresh lockdown restrictions, This marks the fifth straight month of decelerating job gains. Yes, our economy has rebounded by any measure from unemployment to GDP, but the damage remains and continues to be inflicted from this coronavirus-induced recession. And depending on what sector of the economy you're looking at, construction, retail, tourism, or tech, you'll get vastly different pictures of the impact. With the focus now turning to the manufacturing distribution of a vaccine, It's a great time to take an in-depth look at the state of the American workforce. And I've got just the guy for the job. Jed Kolko is the chief economist for Indeed.com, the number one job site in the world. Indeed matches job seekers with employers to the tune of about 250 million unique site visitors every month. Jed leads their research division, the Hiring Lab, where he uses proprietary and public data to uncover insights about labor markets and the future of work. A Harvard-trained PhD economist, he's written for the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, authored a dozen academic articles. I'd say he knows his stuff. Dr. Kolko, welcome to 14th and G. Dean, thanks very much for having me. Absolutely. Jed, you've just authored a very comprehensive report on the state of the labor market from your perch at Indeed. But let's start uh, with the jobs numbers we saw on Friday. A little better than half the jobs forecast were actually added to the economy. Uh, job additions continue to slow down. We have added back 12.3 million jobs since the April lows. But what does the latest data tell you about where we're headed as we look to close out 2020? Well, the November jobs report was a disappointment. Payroll growth was less than most people expected. Uh, looking one level down in the jobs report, uh, it's some of the things I watch most closely, uh, like the percentage of working age adults who are actually employed, how many people have lost their jobs permanently, not just temporarily. Both uh, showed no improvement in November. Uh, and so that was a disappointment, but we're still in a phase where there is so much uncertainty every month Uh, about what any one set of numbers is going to look like. And the report uh, from November uh, was actually quite in line with the broader trend of a much slower rebound in the labor market than we saw earlier in the summer. We're at a point where a lot of the easier parts of the recovery have already happened, are moving into what are really the sort of harder, slower moving pieces on this long road back to normal. Yeah, as I mentioned, you just authored a comprehensive, and, and I'll have to say it's an, it's an easy-to-read report. You don't need a PhD in economics to decipher it. Uh, folks can find it at hiringlab.org if they're interested. One of your more concerning takeaways is about some of these temporary layoffs turning permanent. And, you know, we like to think, well, we flip the economic switch off, 
and we'll just flip it back on when it's safe and everyone goes back to work. But it doesn't work that way. With some of these temp- things that were considered initially temporary layoffs becoming permanent, why is that happening? And, and why can't we just flip the switch back on when it's safe to do so? Well, initially, that huge jump in unemployment that we had in April was mostly temporary layoffs. Layoffs in sectors where businesses shut down but expected to call people back to work. In many cases, people actually were recalled back to work. Uh, restaurants reopened, uh, retail stores, hair salons, dentist offices, uh, all were able to bring back many of the people who were temporarily laid off. But some of those people have lost their jobs permanently. And when we strip out the temporary layoffs, the core unemployment rate, uh, which is what's left without those temporary layoffs, uh, is actually at its highest point in the pandemic so far. And what we're seeing is a lot of these rebounding sectors are reopening, calling people back, but there are other sectors that are going to take much longer to return to normal. I think of it as sort of like a car crash, where even long after the crash itself is cleared, there could still be a miles-long traffic backup um, that takes a long time to clear. Jed, the temporary layoffs that have become permanent, uh, is some of that a function of businesses closing, going bankrupt? We see it, hear about it every day, businesses that just aren't going to reopen. Is that why some of that job loss you think may become permanent? Some of this shift to permanent job loss is because businesses went bankrupt. In other cases, though, the shift from temporary to permanent job loss is in the eye of the worker. Um, The way that the uh, government survey asks about temporary layoffs is it asks people either have you been told you'll be called back to work or do you expect to in the next six months? The longer someone has been out of work, even if they initially believed it was temporary, they may start changing their mind or realizing that there's probably not a job to go back to. And so this notion of the permanent unemployment is a better measure of the longer term pain that the economy is going to face uh, and is going to have to deal with uh, in order to get people back to work. Another interesting finding you had, you see in your report, the pandemic not only hurt labor demand, that's on the employer end, folks looking for employees, but it also impacted labor supply, uh, those people willing to work. You know, there was a lot of debate among policymakers about that uh, UI bonus, the, the amount of additional money the federal government made available to those taking unemployment insurance. And in some instances, folks were making more money drawing unemployment insurance than they could make going back to work. Was unemployment insurance the story here on, on, on labor supply uh, or are there other factors at play? Yeah, I don't think the main story here on labor supply was unemployment insurance and the uh, end of some of those initial benefits. My sense when I talk to companies uh, is that they are wondering as much now as before why they're not seeing more interest in certain kinds of jobs. I think the real reasons are, uh, first of all, um, for a lot of the in-person jobs where companies really are hiring because these are jobs, driving jobs and warehouse jobs. Uh, in-store retail jobs uh, that support the stay-at-home economy. Some people are concerned for their health um, and don't want to go back to a job that might put their health at risk uh, in terms of catching the virus. For many other people, the labor supply issue is having to provide their own childcare or homeschooling. If uh, their children's daycare or regular school 
um, has gone to distance learning or is closed. Um, and we see that when we look at what's happened to employment for parents. There's a huge gap uh, in how much employment has fallen uh, for mothers relative to fathers. There's a clear gender gap in how employment has changed for parents. There's much less of a gap for men and women without kids. So it really does look like the lack of childcare and distance learning has created a huge burden for parents, especially mothers, that has made it much harder to be in the formal workforce. And it's different, obviously, depending on what sector of the economy you're in. You, I imagine, like myself, can do a lot of your work remotely and almost with uh, Zoom, which I was not even, uh, which I was only tangentially aware of before all this started. It was all, it was amazing just how seamless it was when you think of the fact that, you know, one day we, we just couldn't come into our offices or, or do the work we did face to face. So depending on what sector of the economy you're in and how you're able to work, it has a real impact both on your ability to do your job and whether your job's going to be there uh, when, when things go back to some semblance of normalcy. That's right. The job losses have been much milder in sectors where more people can work from home. In high work from home sectors like tech and finance and professional services and similar jobs, the decline in employment uh, has been uh, around three and a half percent since February. Now, that's almost as big as it was for those sectors in the Great Recession. So that's still a huge drop, but that is much less than what the low work from home sectors, the jobs that have been done in person, experience. Most people aren't lucky enough to work in jobs that can be done from home. Uh, some of the best research on this uh, suggested that about 30%, 37% of people work in occupations that can be done from home. For people with a college degree, more than half are in jobs like that. But for people with a high school degree or less, only about 10% are in high work from home jobs. And so there are huge differences in who is fortunate enough to be in a job that can be done from home, can be done safely, and is more secure during this pandemic. Well, Jed, what is the future of remote work? There, there are a lot of folks that have discovered just how little it matters exactly where they do their jobs from. Are we all going to be working from beaches and mountaintops here in the near future? I think that's one of the biggest open questions about what life after the pandemic might look like. Most people aren't fortunate enough to be in jobs that can be done from home. But for those who are, surely more people will be working remotely than before the pandemic, though not as many as at the worst point in the pandemic. What that means, though, for where people live and what happens to cities really depends a lot on what the details of remote work look like. Um, It's very different if someone can work remotely 99% of the time and only has to go in to headquarters or for an offsite once a quarter um, than if somebody can work work remotely 90% of the time but still needs to show up at the office every other week. If you need to show up every other week, then you still need to live within a long commuting distance of your work. You might be able to move to a more affordable neighborhood in a bigger house a little farther out, but it doesn't mean you can move anywhere. And also, people live not only where their current job is, um, but where they think their next job might be. So even if your current employer says, sure, you can work from home forever, um, the next job that you're looking for um, might expect you to be in the office some of the time, So people are really going to stick, for the most part, I think, to the 
kinds of cities that offer large, vibrant labor markets uh, so people can have access to that for their future jobs. Jed, drilling down on that, and you do drill down particularly on the service sector in your report, this recession, this economic downturn, it's different for a lot of reasons. And for one, just by sheer numbers, we, we got into Great Depression territory on those initial job losses, but its impact really is different by sector and, and particularly the service sector. Tell folks, what do you include in the service sector and why does that spe- sector specific impact differentiate it from other periods of economic downturn? Yeah, at the highest level, um, economists divide the economy into goods and services. Goods, uh, the goods sectors involve, you know, pretty much everything that involves building, manufacturing, uh, producing or extracting physical stuff, uh, and also moving it around. And then everything else is services, um, which includes Uh, high-wage business services and tech and finance, as well as lower-wage personal services, range of services like healthcare, education, and so on. When you look back um, at all of the recessions we've had for many decades, all of them hurt goods more than services. They were either rooted in manufacturing or mining or construction or other energy-related sectors, um, except this one. This recession has hurt services more than goods. And that means that this recession it's had a different distributional effect. In other words, uh, it's hurt places that are more reliant on services than goods, bigger cities rather than smaller towns and rural areas, women more than men, the types of people and places who are more likely to work in the services sectors. Um, and that's a huge reason why this recession looks so different than all the recessions that we've seen for decades. It does look different. And, and Jed, there's a, you know, we both know there's a lot of pain out there in, in terms of folks, you know, facing job prospects, uh, lowered incomes, but there are some winners out of this economic period because it's not just a downturn. There's also a reordering of the American economy going on in, in the way we access goods and services and not just Zoom shareholders, uh, which are certainly beneficiaries of this uh, of this period, but there's some real sector winners out there that are uh, going to come out of this uh, in stronger shape than they went in. That's right. Both spending and employment uh, have shifted from services toward goods. The types of sectors that have really been winning in this pandemic uh, are those that support the stay-at-home economy. Delivery services, warehouse, loading and stocking, driving and delivery jobs uh, all support the stay-at-home economy. Many retailers also have done well in this economy, including grocery stores, mega stores, building materials and home improvement stores, um, as well as the construction industry. As people have been staying home, people have been investing more in their homes. Some have looked to buy a larger home. Others you know, have decided to make home improvements. A big question for next year and beyond is how much of this is a permanent shift. It could be that people have discovered the joy of cooking, and decided that they would rather do those yoga classes at home. Or the flip side is it could be that as soon as people can eat out again and travel, they never want to set foot in their own kitchens. Um, And we could see uh, a big drop off uh, (laughs) in spending on goods. Uh, It could be that people who've done some home improvements, you know, have pulled forward, you know, five years of home projects all into this year. Uh, And so we see much less of that spending in the future. We just don't know how much of these 
shifts in behavior that we've seen during the pandemic um, will last beyond when the virus is under control. I'll put myself in the latter category of someone who does not want to eat any more of his own cooking ever when we can get back into restaurants. Well, Jed, the virus led us into this mess. Uh, We hope the vaccine is going to lead us out. What should we be looking for to know if this recovery is going to continue into 2021? How fast will things come back? What are the chances we're still digging out of this mess come 2022? Is this a completely vaccine-driven recovery? What are the what are the other factors you're looking at to know where this is all headed in the new year? I do think a lot really depends on the vaccine when it comes, uh, how widespread it is, as well as uh, treatment um, in the meantime. The big question uh, for me in addition to when does the vaccine get here, is how long it takes different sectors to open up again, to start hiring, to start serving consumers and businesses. I think there are some businesses that can rebound pretty quickly. Retail, restaurants can you know, already, you know, many have had the experience of having to shut down and open up again and possibly shut down again. And so they uh, are in a better position to get going once that switch is flipped. But other sectors uh, like air travel, arts and entertainment, sports that have been shut down uh, more completely may take longer to ramp up, especially if they need to get facilities and equipment back online um, or if they've lost uh, some specialized workers left and need to take other jobs. Uh, and so, you know, they're back uh, hiring the open market. There are also some higher wage industries um, that haven't been as hurt by the pandemic, some of these high work from home sectors like tech and finance that have slowed down their hiring, even though they haven't laid a lot of people off. Those sorts of higher wage industries um, are slower to fire, but also slower to hire. Um, And they may wait until they have greater confidence about the economic path uh, before they resume their own hiring. Uh, So I think there are a bunch of barriers for some sectors um, that make them, they'll make them slower to ramp up than some of the other kinds of businesses uh, that really can start going very quickly once they're able to. Economics is sometimes called the dismal science. You're an economist, but are you an optimist or a pessimist when it comes to the future of America? Uh, I think I'm generally optimistic. I think my biggest concerns are about ways in which America is pulling apart We think about this politically, but also economically. Most measures of inequality uh, have worsened. We did have a period in recent years uh, when the labor market was tight and unemployment was low, where we saw big gains going to people with less education and lower incomes. But that was a nature now to be an unusual period um, when the economy was so strong. I think we're now in for a period even after there's a vaccine and the virus is behind us, uh, I think we're still in for a period of higher unemployment than we had before the pandemic. Uh, Periods of higher unemployment tend to go hand in hand with wider inequalities. Jed Kolko, a lot to pick through here, a lot in the year to come, but we can at least get 2020 behind us. Thank you for joining me on 14th and G. Thank you very much. Looking forward to seeing with you what happens next year.